we've been looking at uh, the series at the moment in the evenings is meeting Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So you've been going through the um, Matthew, different incidents, um, different stories, and times when um, when people meet Jesus and ways that we can meet Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So we're going to, Jeff already read it, but I'm going to read it again in your Bibles. If you've got your Bible, it should come up on the screen. If not, Matthew 16, 13 to 20. Okay, so it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So I am going to speak quite briefly, not too long, but I want to pull out three questions from this scripture passage. Two questions that Jesus asks and I think is asking us this evening. Those two questions in that scripture are, Jesus asks, who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? He asked that to the disciples. And then he then asked the disciples, who do you say I am? So I'm going to look at who do the people say I am, Jesus, and who do you say I am? And then I want to finish by asking the question, who does Jesus say you are? So our first question, who do people say the Son of Man is? So I sometimes play this game in the car with my kids, especially my youngest. He always seems to fall asleep in the car. So if I'm trying to keep him awake, we play this game called Guess the Animal. So you have to pick an animal, and then you have to, you're that animal. You have to pick an animal, and you have to give three clues about that animal. So I might, I might say, I have four legs, I'm stripy, and I live in a hot country. Any guesses? A zebra. Yeah, well done. Or a tiger. Could be a tiger. So, or you may have played a different game where you have, like, a post-it note, or I think you can do it on your phone now on apps, where something comes up, and you can't see it, and you're trying to... You ask questions for the person to try and help you work out who you are. So I might be a famous person. You ask questions to try and figure out who you are. Now, Jesus is not asking these questions because he does not know who he is. Jesus isn't having an identity crisis. When Jesus lived on earth, he knew who he was and he knew why he was sent. He wanted to know what the disciples thought, what they believed. So Jesus starts this dialogue in verse 13 by asking them, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, in the Gospels, Jesus is mostly referred to as the Messiah or Christ by other people. But he actually refers to himself mainly as the Son of Man. And the Son of Man, when I looked into this a bit more, it refers back to a prophecy that Daniel has. So the Old Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel was a prophet and he had a dream, a prophetic dream about the Son of Man. And this is what it says in Daniel 7. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion 
that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, it refers back to that. And it refers to a person that is both human and divine, Jesus, someone who is human and divine. And it says that the Son of Man will be given dominion and glory and a kingdom. All peoples and nations will serve him, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus accomplished this on the cross, that he he is the Son of Man, because this is what he accomplished on the cross by dying and rising again. So Jesus turns to his disciples and says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, the disciples knew what people were saying because they lived in the world. They didn't live in this little secluded bubble with Jesus. They lived amongst the people and they went out to the people and they um, you know, had conversations, they had meals at their houses, they performed miracles along with Jesus. They knew what the people were saying, so they were able to answer Jesus. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And this actually fits with the Old Testament prophecy that predicted a great prophet who was to come. And so this is our first question, who do people say I am? And I wonder if you could just have a little think, if we were answering this question, Jesus' question today, have a think about the people around you, and who would they say Jesus is? Your family, your friends, your town, our country, who would they say Jesus is? Perhaps just someone in history, a historical figure, a moral teacher, um, a crazy person who claimed he was God, um, some mythical person that people believe in. I wonder how many people in our surrounding world would say that he is the Messiah, that he was the Messiah. Our society overall doesn't recognise that Jesus is God and that can make it difficult sometimes to believe that, to be a Christian in this culture, in our world, in our time. And it can make it uncomfortable sometimes because we're going against what it feels like everyone around us believes and it can make us feel just uncomfortable, I guess, and like it's a bit difficult. But the Bible itself says in 1 Corinthians that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So it is foolishness to people that don't believe in it, but for those of us that believe in it, we've experienced God's power and we know it to be true. And that can reassure us amongst the difficulties of living in a world where it feels like no one else believes in Jesus, that, that we know it to be true, that we've experienced it. And when Jesus was on earth with the disciples, many people um, thought Jesus was just a troublemaker and a glutton and a fraud. And many people, especially the religious leaders, Jesus didn't fit fit in with um, their idea of the Messiah and what the Messiah would look like. So they just thought he was stirring trouble and um, that he was making it up, basically. So I think it would have been difficult for the disciples at the time, just like it is for us now to declare and follow Jesus as the Messiah, because lots of people didn't believe that or think that. Lots of people did, but there were a lot of people that didn't as well. And Peter himself had moments when he was uncertain. Next week, Josh is speaking on um, the time when Jesus walks on the water, and in this story, we see that Peter wavers and doubts and starts to sink. He also had moments when he didn't want to stand out as a believer in Jesus. He denied him three times, even though he assured Jesus he wouldn't do that, that near, just before Jesus was crucified, that he did deny him three times. 
And we all have moments of uncertainty and doubt, if we're being honest. We have moments when we don't want to stand out and be different, especially, you know, some of you young people being at school or university can be difficult when everyone else, it feels like everyone else, you know, believes differently. Sometimes we don't want to stand out and sometimes that might make us wonder and doubt and think, have we got it all wrong? Sometimes I have these moments, if I'm honest with you, when I think, do I really believe that a man who lived thousands of years ago was God and that him dying on the cross and coming back to life makes my life better now, it redeems me now, it gives me um, a hope and eternal life. And I have these moments when it just seems a bit crazy, um, if I'm honest. But like I said before, that, that sense of we've experienced it and we know but we also have moments of doubt and uncertainty, probably some of us more than others due to just perhaps the way we think or our minds, or um, some of us will doubt more than others. I like this story in the Bible, and it's always stuck with me. I heard a sermon on it once when um, Jesus encountered a man and his um, child was sick, and he wanted Jesus to heal his child. And he said, if you can, and Jesus picked up on that and said, if I, you know, if I can, that's doubt, isn't it? If I can. Um, and so Jesus questions him on this. And his reply is, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And I think being a Christian can often feel like this. We believe, but we have some unbelief too. And I think it's okay to be honest with God and say that. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And actually, I'd, I think it's healthy to do that, that we can't just always just blindly believe in Jesus and blindly believe in God. We have to question it, and we have to have moments where we explore more, and I think that's how our faith grows and develops. And I think, ultimately, doubt and questioning does make our faith in Jesus more real, because faith isn't the absence of doubt. There's this quote by Nikki Gumbel, who is um, headed up the Alpha course, which is a great course if you are exploring Christianity. And he said, the strength of your faith is not measured by the absence of doubt, but by the faithfulness of your life in the face of doubt. So we decide to follow Jesus and we live for him amongst the doubt and we stay faithful even when we do doubt. And that's okay. Sometimes... I grew up in church, and sometimes it feels like you can't express those, those doubts, those moments of uncertainty, because everyone is just worshipping Jesus and believes in Jesus and is passionate about Jesus. But we all have these moments of doubt. We have just fleeting thoughts, or we have seasons of it when life, things happen and things come up against us, or we're just thinking in a certain way. We all have these moments when we're not too sure. In John 6, um, lots of people who follow Jesus are leaving him in this um, chapter because they are finding his teaching too difficult. So Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter, the man in our story today, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We may have doubts and uncertainties, but in the end, where else shall we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? So that's our first question. Who do people say I am? And our next question is, who do you say I am? Jesus asks you and me this evening, who do you say I am? And he asks this to the disciples, and Simon Peter replies, 
You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that this conversation is taking place in the region of Caesarea Philippi. Um, From what I have read this week, this was a place where um, a Greek god called Pan was worshipped. He was half goat, half man, a false god. And Peter, in this setting, Peter says to Jesus, you are the son of the living God, the one true God. And I can just imagine Jesus having this conversation with them. They're sat down and he looks at them. He loves them. He's their friend, you know, he's their friend. They're following him, and he says, who do you say I am? It's a huge question with big consequences, because if they don't believe he's the Messiah, what are they doing there? Why are they following him? Why are they dedicating their life to him if they don't believe that? And I believe that Jesus is asking us that question today. Who do you say I am? And I don't know where you're at on your faith journey, Some of you here might be sat and you would answer Jesus with a, I don't know. I don't know who you are, Jesus. I don't know if you're real, if you're God, I'm not sure. Others here will feel full of faith and certainty that Jesus is the Messiah, the one sent to save and redeem us. Perhaps some people somewhere in the middle. And I first became a Christian when I was about 11 years old. So I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I did, my parents did send me to Sunday school through a family friend. So I grew up coming to church in that way. So not a Christian influence at home, but I came to this church as a child. And then as I entered my preteen years, um, I did make this decision for myself. I did decide, I do believe in Jesus. Um, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah and I want to follow him. And I was full of faith and it was passionate and enthusiastic. I remember going to a youth camp. Um, The youth still go away every year to kind of like a festival for young people. And I remember going to one and there was this altar call and um, the preacher actually said that, that, you know, following Jesus is difficult. So if you want to do this, you need to stand up on your chair And you had to say something, I don't know, I believe, or something like that. Now, I was already a Christian, so I I didn't really need to make that response, but I felt compelled to do it. And I think it was just this moment when I knew I had to kind of commit my life to God and say, yes, I'm gonna do this, even when it's difficult. And you have these moments, particularly when you're first a Christian, I guess, that are a bit more um, passionate and faith-filled and emotional. But then as I've grown older and um, different things have happened or just time, having children's made my life busy, I think my faith has changed and evolved and and it's different now. But I still stand with Peter and I still say to Jesus, that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So who do you say Jesus is? It's such an important question, perhaps the most important question you could ever answer, more important than will you marry me? Um, Yeah, who do you say I am? Jesus is asking that to all of us. And even people that don't want to believe in Jesus, that don't want anything to do with the church, they're still answering this question by not answering it because they're saying that Jesus isn't the Messiah, that I don't believe in Jesus. We all have to answer this question. So, and if we do decide to echo Peter's words, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, then it changes who we are and it changes how we live. When we acknowledge that Jesus is Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, then we are born again. You may have heard that term before. 
um, we are forgiven for all the bad things we have done and thought, all the regrets and mistakes. Jesus forgives us and we get to spend eternity with him. It's a big question, the biggest question, because your response changes everything. So those are our, our first two questions. Our final question is, who does Jesus say you are? And I just want to pull this out of um, the final part of this scripture. Names are important, aren't they? My youngest didn't have a name for about six days because we couldn't decide on one. Um, but Rachel and Hamish tell me that their youngest didn't have a name for about six weeks. So that, be- that beats, beats my six days. But names are important, aren't they? And when you name a child, you... Um, They've got that name for life. It's quite important. It's part of their identity. Names are really significant. And um, in some cultures, names are more important than others, aren't they? Because they have meanings and the meanings are important. I did know that if I, wanted, if I had a girl, which I didn't, I liked the name Matilda. And part of that was because as a child, I think it was the first novel I read and I really enjoy it. I, even, I still remember sat in my classroom reading Matilda. But also, the name Matilda means mighty in battle. And I thought, what a great name for a girl. Like, you know, not not pretty, not beautiful, not anything wrong if that's what your name means. But mighty in battle. I thought, if I have a girl, that's what I want to call her. Um, Because names are important. And in the Bible, and many cultures today, they are significant. The meaning of names is significant. And we, we know it many times in the Bible. God changed people's names for that reason. He changed Jacob, which meant deceiver, into Israel. He changed Sarai into Sarah. There's these moments when he changes names, and there's a significance to that. And God is giving these people kind of like a new hope, a new beginning. It's a moment that's important. So in our scripture today... We see Jesus pointing out the significance of Peter's name. After Peter has said to Jesus, you are the Messiah, Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now this part of scripture is actually quite controversial and debated and interpreted differently and the Roman Catholics appeal to this passage to defend their belief that Peter was the first pope that that's where that comes from they believe that Jesus was actually saying to Peter the man that he was the rock on which Jesus would build the church giving him more authority and power than a regular believer and there are various interpretations of this section in scripture so is Jesus saying directly to Peter that you're the rock on which I'll build my church Or is he saying Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah is the thing that he's building his church on? Peter's name was actually Simon, but he he is often referred to as Simon Peter in the Gospels. And the name Peter means rock or stone. Jesus is playing on words here. He's saying, you're Peter, you're the rock on which I will build my church. I think Jesus is speaking directly to Peter, but I don't think Jesus is giving Peter any particular, like, special authority or power beyond the other disciples. Um, I think that it's on, partly on this confession that he's saying that Jesus is the Messiah. I think G- that's what the church is built on, isn't it? A declaration, an answer to this question that Jesus is the Messiah. But also that God 
um, does build his church on the apostles and the prophets and the people that follow Jesus. So Jesus, in this scripture, he goes on to say to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But if we go on to um, Matthew 18, Jesus kind of repeats this word, these words, but this time he's saying it to all the disciples. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's saying the same thing. One time he's just speaking to Peter, but then the next time he's speaking to all of the disciples. So I think this authority, this um, statement that Jesus is making is for all the disciples and all believers. And in Ephesians 2, 19 to 20, Paul says to the Jews and Gentiles, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Because the rock on which the church is built is Jesus, isn't it? And Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone elsewhere in the Bible too. But as we can see in this scripture, Ephesians 2, the apostles and the prophets are part of that foundation, that the church, which is God's called people, not the building, but God's people, his kingdom, is built on Jesus, but also the prophets and the um, apostles are part of that foundation. So it's not specifically for Peter, it was for all the disciples. So however you decide to interpret this scripture, we can clearly see that Jesus does call out Peter by name, doesn't he? He knows Peter well, and he is one of the three disciples closest to him. We often talk about these three, and um, Peter was one of those. Jesus knows Peter very well, and he knows that he will falter and waver. He knows that Peter can be impulsive. He chops off a guard's ear. He knows that he can be emotional at times. He says he'll follow and believe, and then he denies. But in the end, Jesus knows what Peter will go on to do, that he will build his church. He'll be a significant part of that, of spreading the gospel and helping God's kingdom to grow. Jesus knows you too. He knows your name, he knows your doubts, your struggles, your uncertainties, but he also, just like he looked at Peter and saw the potential, he also looks at you and sees that potential too, all the ways that you can help build his kingdom. I love how Jesus really saw people, didn't he? The people society at the time ignored and ostracized. He saw the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes. He saw the people that other people didn't want to see. And he knew them, he knew their names and their stories. Like the time Jesus met a Samaritan woman at the well, and um, he shouldn't have really associated with her, but he asked her for some water. And in their conversation, he mentioned something about her husband, and she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now isn't your husband. And he wasn't saying this to condemn her, he was saying this to show that he knew her. And um, God knows you and your story today. He knows what's going on. In Isaiah 43, it says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. 
I, I remember reading this scripture when I was on a gap year very far from home. Someone sent it to me just to remind me that wherever we are and whatever we're going through, that God calls you by name and that you are his. So if you're a Christian, then you have heard this call from God and you have responded to it. You have decided, like Peter, to say to Jesus that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus said to Peter... This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. There's a sense of calling on Peter's life, that it's not something he's learned, but he's, he's been shown this, and his faith in Jesus, he's responded to that call on his life. So I don't know where you're at tonight and what you would answer to Jesus' question, whether you feel like you have felt that sense of call on your life, whether at some point you have said to Jesus... You were the Messiah, the son of the living God. Or whether you said it a while ago and you feel a bit more apathetic now or unsure. If you've never said that and you're wondering, you don't know who Jesus is, then um, just as I finish, I would really recommend the Alpha course. And we have one coming up in September. So if you would answer Jesus, I don't know who you are then I really recommend an Alpha course because it's a great place to ask the questions and to explore the Christian faith. Like I said earlier, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but then as I became an adult, me and my sister were Christians and my mum was really curious about what we believed and she did an Alpha course and became a Christian because it's a great way to find out who Jesus is if you don't know. Or perhaps tonight you are here and... um, You have acknowledged Jesus. You've done that before, but perhaps, I mean, it's good for us all to take a moment and declare to Jesus that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. But perhaps like me, you've had seasons, perhaps you're in a season when you're not too sure, when it feels too difficult, when you're not sure if you do believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Then I'd love to pray this evening, and we're going to have a bit of time for um, prayer at the end too, if you would like. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, tonight we take a moment to look to you and we acknowledge you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I pray for those who here who are saying that for the first time this evening. I pray that they will experience the power and presence of Jesus, that they will know your forgiveness and healing, that they will take this moment to decide to follow you. I pray for anyone who may be wavering in faith, full of doubt or uncertainty, or perhaps for those of us that have just grown a bit cold or indifferent. I pray we would all take this moment to look to you and to once again say to you that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I pray we may all know the power of the cross in our lives, wherever we're at. We acknowledge tonight that you are Lord, and I pray that as we leave this place, we will take that with us and show it to the people around us. Amen.